Well, good morning. Good morning. Welcome to Bethany. Um, Jesus over everything. Anxiety, yeah. I feel like I've run a marathon to get here, maybe a triathlon. But uh, so we're doing subject studies and Old Testament characters, and I have the privilege this morning of opening Josiah with you. But my intent in my heart in reading through the New Testament as a young Christian has always been I've noticed the scripture that God specifically told to Peter when Peter could ask um, the Lord a request for him. And the Lord could ask him, Lord, or Peter, do you love me? And he said, yes, feed my sheep. Peter, do you love me? Feed my sheep. Peter, do you love me? Feed my sheep. So I hope if nothing else this morning, you come away from this to know that if I can be the stepping stone or the little rug that shines your vessel to shine brighter for Christ and point you to Christ. If you don't know Christ, I want to try to point you to Christ. We want to point you to Christ as a Savior for you this morning. And I just feel a great burden to open in prayer. So let's just open, first of all, in a word of prayer. Our Heavenly Father, we just thank you that you care for us. We thank you, Lord, that you are Lord of everything. We thank you for the songs that we've been able to sing. We just thank you for your deep love for us, Father, that you would send your only Son. We just thank you for the theme of the message this morning that we heard in the breaking of bread. We thank you for how your Son was broken for us, and in our brokenness we can seek out him. And we just think of this character that we're studying, Josiah, a broken empire, broken kingdom, Lord, in need of you desperately. And Lord, we are broken people as well. We just thank you that we can come to you for prayer, and we'd ask for help in doing so, and looking to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Our readings this morning will be mainly primarily in 2 Kings chapter 22 and verses, and also chapter 23, so if you want to turn to them, you can. But uh, I, I said that a little bit about in a prayer about the brokenness, and it's been impressed to me this week especially, and I really want to say, stop and say thank you for everybody that's mentioned they've been praying for me. That's, that's something I've never experienced before, probably because usually when I used to giving a message, you just... Nobody knew you were going to give the message. Where I come from, you would give it a word of message or an exhortation that the Lord impressed upon your heart. And like I said, the, the, bet or the effort was always to, for me, to encourage people to Christ, to point them to Christ. But the bent of this, the whole week, it just has presided over this week. And I know a lot of you remember Micah Tuttle that was with us here in February. And some of you don't, that's okay. Some of you weren't here. He was a youth conference. A man named Micah Tuttle was here very passionate man for God. I would remind, he remind me probably of John the Baptist or some of the New Testament characters. And he experienced something pretty amazing this week. He was at a conference up in Minneapolis. And he said that he spoke the entire week, six messages in total. And at the end, they were sitting around one another and they were eating and just kind of ready to go. And a man got up and said, Micah, keep preaching. And as he was preaching, the man confessed to sins that were in his life. And one by one, men, I don't know if he said women, but got up and they spoke about the sins, even elders, that they were repenting of. So the theme that has presided in the two or three months even preparing for this message in my heart has been brokenness. In fact, I wanted to play a song, but I didn't want to get kicked out of ever potentially speaking again, and that's fine if that's the case. But it's written by Matthew West, and the Lord has just impressed it on my heart, and it's probably going to relate to some of the younger ones, maybe not the older ones. I realize you're more familiar with the hymns. It kind of goes like this. There's a few different stanzas or verses, but there's a few different stanzas. I want to read one. It says, Can I really stand here unashamed? 
knowing that you love me, your love for me won't change. Oh God, if that's really true, then let the truth be told. I say I'm fine, yeah, I'm fine, but I'm not fine, I'm broken. And when it's out of control, I say it's under control, but it's not, and you know it. I don't know why it's so hard to admit it when being honest is the only way to fix it. There's no failure, no sin that you don't already know. Yes, I know. There's no failure, no fall. There's no sin you don't already know. So let the truth be told. This morning, I hope to speak the truth on the life of a man that really was a turning point in an empire, the kingdom of the nation of Israel. And I feel like the real reason that I want to share this this morning, because I feel like some of you here are walking that road this morning. In fact, some of you might not even know Christ as your Savior. You might not know this God that we're talking about or the love that he has for you. And you have something in your heart that you're searching for that you can't explain, an emptiness, a void. Well, I can tell you this morning that there's a God and a man that came to this earth, Christ Jesus, who is God in flesh, that cares for you deeply. The longing and emptiness that you're searching for is him calling out to you. And I'm saying to you this morning, weary one, come to him. Or maybe you're a child of God, but you feel like a prodigal, you know, like we were talking about Micah this week experiencing. The call is the same, come back to him. Or maybe you're a Christian and you've been trying, and sometimes your life seems on track spiritually. You have all the ducks in the row, but there are seasons of life where you feel like you don't feel like, you feel that there's emptiness as well, and the longing for him, and that emptiness is a calling or an invitation to God to lay down your life and your strength to him and abide in him, like we were hearing a few months back, our brother shared with us about abiding in Christ. So I hope this morning as we look at Josiah and a broken nation, that you can know that there's a God that loves you. And you know, I wouldn't be a, it wouldn't be without saying about today. I don't know if anybody remember what today was. Um, our brother Eric mentioned September 11th. I think at this time of the day, all, both Twin Towers had fallen down. All of us here, probably if we were alive, remember where we were that day. And the question that prevailed amongst our nation that day is, how did we get here? What happened? I remember... This was before smartphones existed. Maybe Bobby remembers if he had a Blackberry or not, but I, I heard it on the radio. We didn't even have television in our home. Um, we had one at the gym, but I went up to the office in, in a town that we lived in, and I heard about this airplane that crashed in the towers and didn't think anything of it. And as the day un, un, unveiled and the events unveiled, we realized it was much more catastrophic and much more large, large, larger than we could comprehend. In fact, that one lady up there in the picture is a picture of a girl at a class in Iowa City, and it was a day that we won't all forget. And you know, I hope as we look at these examples this morning, we will remember them and reflect upon them as uh, reminders from God that we as well won't forget. So the question I asked again is, how did we get here? Just like in September 11th, the people asked that day, how do we get to the point that we are in this book that we're going to consider in Second Kings? You know, the Kings are not primarily a book that we go through and say, yes, I get to read in the Kings. Honestly, I've been reading them in the past few months, and I related to Nathan, and we've both been reading. We've been on a struggle, as it were, to get through the Bible in a two-year period. It's turning into, I think, a three-year period for both of us. But as we relate in the Kings, there's some things that stand out to us. And you know, the one thing that stood out to me as I was reading through the Kings is how God always sought the children of Israel, but they refused to follow him. They refused to follow him. I mean, not only was it just a they didn't want to obey him, they refused to obey and follow him. So how did we get here? This is just the Jay Baker, and this is, this, if you don't agree with us, this, this is fine, this page here. 
just a brief summary. Man falls to sin in the garden. The separation from God happens. Israel asks God for a leader to deliver them from slavery in Egypt. That'd be Moses. Israel breaks the Ten Commandments. God sets up a priesthood and access into his holy presence. And Israel asks and demands for a king. So just like we were relating back to September 11th and the events that unfolded that day and the history even since then, the last 21 years and all the events that have happened since then has been a result of that day, we're going to look at in the Old Testament here the, what, what happened, like I just mentioned, and how it brought us to this point. So if you would turn, well, actually not turning yet, but, you know, God's original plan was that there would be one Lord and King of all. That was his plan. You know, it was never his intent, and I can say this because if you look in the book of Revelation, he points forward to a future kingdom where he will be Lord and King of all. And we heard this morning in the meeting, it's not because he's a, even Eric, I think, said that, it's not because he's a selfish, uh, demanding God. It's for our good that he intended us to be, him to be Lord and King of all. It reminds me, actually, of the current day that we live in, um, this little sign here. We were actually traveling this summer up to Door County, Wisconsin, and I kept seeing this political sign, and I'm not going to say what party it was affiliated with, and uh, it said, vote for, you can fill in the blank, for they vote for us. You know, if you look at the history of mankind, how often has that really been the fulfillment of that? You know, I mean, everybody's out there propagating for themselves, and yes, they might have good intentions, and we need good leaders. We need good, solid Christian leaders in, in places of office. But how often does man really fulfill the things they say? I think probably, even though he was affiliated with a, a party, President Kennedy probably said the, be, the best for what we could say for ourselves. Ask not, what you can do, ask not what your country can do for you, but what you can do for your country. The same would be for Christians. It's not what is others going to do for me, it's what I can do for others and what I can seek to do for God. And so I just thought that was funny. I was even thinking, what would it have been like in David's day or Saul's day and the political campaigns that they were in? Well, we kind of have actually a synopsis of that in the Bible. We read about how Saul was beautiful or that he was handsome, that he was tall, and this is what appealed to them. And I just helped think in my mind that anybody said, well, Saul for king, he's head and shoulders above everyone else. And by the way, he even looks the part. Well, I was going to pick on David, but I decided not to because David was a man after God's own heart. But you could say that maybe something like this. We can trust David in, even with our own wives, right? Okay, there's the failure of mankind. We can't, right? Because we're broken individuals, just like Caleb said this morning in the breaking of bread meeting. And that was, it's just gone along beautifully, actually, with the thoughts that I have. We are broken people, and we desperately need God. We need him more than anything. And you know, that's the beauty of the Breaking of Bread meeting. I really love the Breaking of Bread meeting, the worship meeting. And that's, a, that's the background that I come from, is that it actually centers our focus and attention on Christ. You get to hear others, that what they're enjoying in their lives and their passions for Christ, and they bring it before you and me, and we can share in that. And it's just a beautiful thing. You know, that was not God's original plan, to have a, a, king, a kingdom like that would unfold. And because of that, we're going to see the downfall of mankind. You know, I think even um, Brian McGee mentioned three months ago, he related to uh, King Jehoram, I think it was. He's not here this morning, so I can't pick on him for that. 
But he, he read a king in Breaking Bread's meeting, and he mentioned how this king was such an evil king that the children of Israel did not wish to remember him. And you know, um, you have a little chart here that depicts the kings in the kingdom. So we have, um, Randy gave us a brief outlay when they, he was talking about Balaam, but we have the two kingdoms. We have the kingdom of Judah, which the kingdom of Judah and the kingdom of Israel, so the, the tribe of Benjamin was also part of the king of Judah, the kingdom of Judah. The two uh, kingdoms divided off because you had the 10 uh, tribes of Israel that did not want to go along with the ways of God. And that's why you have the result of two different kingdoms. First, we had Saul, and then David, and then Solomon. And then after that, we had the two kingdoms that resulted as a result of it. Um, and then we read in the Bible that the Lord Jesus would come, will eventually come of the tribe of Judah, and we see that in his seed. But here we have the different kingdoms. And as you can see here, there was not one good king amongst the, these, these kingdoms here in the, nor, in the northern tribes. Like I said, over here is the, the land of Israel, and the northern, the northern tribes were up here, and Judah was down here. And actually, there's a genealogy on the right over here. We have the, the tribe of Judah and the tribe of the kingdom of the northern kingdom. So we see the two kingdoms there. And J.C. Greenhue writes about the kings, and I think it's probably a good description, and maybe it's a little brutal, but if you do a little bit of study and research on the internet, you kind of find the same comparisons. It says four-fifths of, four of them were equally equally deficient in brains and morals, a combination of wickedness and folly with nothing of the king about them but the name. I think that's pretty true today. Actually, we were reading this morning, uh, my wife was looking at, uh, with the recent passing of the queen, now how the queen's uh, inheritance is going to be passed apart, and it's, I think, going to give to Princess Kate, and how the other, the other uh, I can't even remember, it's Harry's wife, is kind of at enmity with Kate, I guess it is. And what is it over? It's over money, $110 million worth of jewels, perhaps. But she was asking me what the word enmity means, and that's really what was a result of these kingdoms, but also what he's saying here. So there's nothing about the king about them but their name. But here and there you come up with a man in the midst of these people, royal, like royal puppets. It's like finding a garden in the Sahara Desert or a jewel in the heap of sham of trinkets, or a dirty stage finery. So like if you were at a theater and you've seen these uh, makeup or these gowns that they would wear being all dirty and dusty, like something they're wearing to put on to show, make a good show. Before and behind him are moral waste and darkness. He stands out as a figure worth looking at and loving. Josiah's good reign was like a burst of brilliant sunset before the final darkness comes on. So this is all introing up and leading to the man that we want to talk about man, Josiah. You know, um, originally, like I had mentioned, this was the, the kingdoms, or having a king was not the desire of God's heart. If we went back and looked at when the children of Israel asked for a king and asked for Saul, he, how do you say, begrudgingly gave them the request. And we actually have a perfect picture of what God designed and intended in the Garden of Eden. Before sin came into the garden, God came every day, or each, or not every day, we don't know how many days, but he came daily, or came as often as he did, and what did he do? He was in Adam and Eve's presence, and that's what God desired, God, and that's what God desires today, and that's what we can have with a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. If we know Jesus Christ as our Savior, we can enjoy a small picture of that, and I am looking forward to a day 
when that's going to be physical, <laughs> when that's the stumbling and stumbling that I'm even doing right now, that's all I'm going to put away. I'm going to see him, and he's going to be there. And that's what God desires for each one of us. But we would, we would see that the depravity of the human heart after the fall in the garden would eventually re- lead to the need for people like Moses and Abraham that would be leaders that would lead the children of Israel, and then even kings and priests. And there were good kings, and there were good priests, Samuel being one of them. But the children of Israel wanted, for a, wanted a king, and they pleaded for a king, even though God said he would be the one that would be their king and lead and guide them. So moving on here. Who was Josiah? Josiah, the meaning of his name means God supports and heals, or healed of the Lord. He was born in 640 BC, and actually, oh, that was in the other slide, go back. You can see here the years in which the kings reign, and Josiah's right here. He was born in 640 BC and died in 608 BC. And we can actually see the kingdoms that I'm probably going to forget to mention afterwards, and how short they were. His 31 years lasted more than the last four kings to the fall of the Babylonian captivity. Josiah was born in 640 BC. He was the 16th king of Judah. So there was 20 kings total, if I have that right. And I think there was 19 on the northern tribe side. He was the son of wicked King Ammon. Um, wicked King Ammon was assassinated only after two years of being king. Uh, he was parentless at eight years old, or fatherless at eight years old. He was a grandchild of King Manasseh. Now, King Manasseh was a wicked king. Um, King Manasseh reigned for quite a long time, and actually I don't even remember, so let's go back here. King Manasseh reigned for 55 years. But you'll notice there, they have him in green. King Manasseh repented at the end of his life, and I'm going to read the notes that I've written down here about Manasseh, just to give you an idea. Okay, so Josiah is eight years old when he comes into the kingdom, and I know we've all heard this in Sunday school, or maybe you haven't, but you've probably heard this in Sunday school. He He comes into being king at eight years old. I wanted you to get a picture of what the land around him looked like when he became king, okay? So I'm going to read to you what I wrote down here about his grandfather, because his grandfather reigned for 55 years, his father two years, so really when he was becoming king, that was really all relevant and happening at the same time. Manasseh was 12 years old when he became king. This is his grandfather. He reigned in Jerusalem for 55 years. He did evil in the eyes of the Lord, following the detestable practices of the nations the Lord had driven out before the Israelites. He rebuilt the high places his father Hezekiah had destroyed. He also erected altars to Baal and made, to Asherah, and made Asherah poles. And we'll get to that later. As Ahab, king of Israel, had done before, he bowed down to, only, to all the starry hosts and worshipped them. Worshipped them. He built altars in the temple of the Lord, of which the Lord had said, In Jerusalem I will put my name. In the courts of the temple of the Lord he built altars to all the starry hosts. Now this is, listen to this. Listen to this. We're talking about the children of Israel, Okay. Not just the Aztecs or the Amazon Indians in South America. These are God's people. Listen to this. He sacrificed his own son in the fire. (laughs) Talk about a nation off course. How do you go from worshiping a God that leads you out of the land of Egypt and does all these... Look at our own hearts. How do you go from that? I don't understand. He sacrificed his own son in the fire, practiced divination, divination, sought omens and consult mediums and spiritists. He did much evil in the eyes of the Lord, arousing his anger. Although we are not given specifics, Manasseh was also a treacherous king, killing innocent people. Manasseh also shed so much innocent blood that he filled Jerusalem from end to end, found in 2 Kings 21 and 16. 
He was pronounced by God to be more wicked than the Amorites. So these are their enemies, the Amorites, who lived in the Canaan in Canaan before they were displaced by Israel in the act of God's judgment. Second Kings twenty one eleven. Not only did Manasseh sin personally, but as as king he led Judah in forsaking the Lord. So not only did he sin, but he led them in forsaking them. I mean, you talk about getting so far off course, refusing to worship God. He's leading them away from God. But as king, he led Judah in forsaking God and worshiping idols. Such was the extent of their sin that God declared he would wipe out Jerusalem as he had the northern kingdom of Israel. Jeremiah notes that it was the sin of Judah that initiated by Manasseh that brought the judgment of, that Jeremiah proclaimed the destruction of Jerusalem and the temple of the exiled people. According to the Jewish tradition, it was Manasseh who murdered the prophet Isaiah. I learned something there. I don't know if you knew that. It was perhaps Manasseh was the one that murdered the prophet Isaiah, the good book of Isaiah that we get to read about, about the sufferings that were foretold of Christ almost was it 700 years before he was born. Um, and it goes on to say that Manasseh was also, um, God reached out to Manasseh and the people, presumably through prophets. And actually in the last chart I showed you, it shows you the prophets that, would, that spoke to these kings here. Right there you have the prophets aligned with the kings and who, who tried to speak to the kings. And so it, we have prophets that come to these kings and warn them. While in, ex, while in exile, in his distress, he sought the favor of the Lord his God, and he humbled himself greatly after hearing from one of them of his, about his ancestors. And when he prayed to him, the Lord, was, the Lord was moved by his entreaty and listened to his plea. So he brought him back to Jerusalem and to his kingdom. Then Manasseh knew the Lord is God. And this is found in Second Chronicles 33, 12 through 13. The repentant Manasseh was restored to his kingdom and started to rebuild his military and so on. So I was trying to give you a context. I don't want to read a lot more because it's getting a little lengthy. But this is just a little bit of an idea of the kingdom that Josiah was growing up of or what he was left with after the death of his grandfather Manasseh. So can you imagine that? Can you imagine growing up in a, in a land like that? Now, there are parts of the world that are like this today. And, you know, when there's a Christian in those parts of the world, they stick out like a thumb. And so here we have Josiah that comes onto the scene. And Josiah, like we said, he, he, he was one that was going to be the healer of the nation of Israel. So God was more than a father to this fatherless boy. Let's move on here. Josiah, as he rules in Judah, in 2 Kings chapter 22, I asked you to open to it in verses 1 and 2. Let's just read Briefly, you could really read the, the accounts of Josiah in 10 minutes and be done. So it's kind of hard to break this down and make it into a 30 message. Or I heard Tony say that at camp, a man spoke six days on Josiah. I'm not sure how he did that, but maybe he spoke about each, each of these points as one day. In 2 Kings chapter 22, it says, verse 1, Josiah was eight years old when he became king, and he reigned 31 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Jedidah, the daughter of Ad- Adiah of Bozkath. Now, it's not Jedediah, it's a woman, it's Jedediah, I think is how you say it. And he did what was right in the sight of the Lord and walked in all his ways as his father David did. He did not turn from the right hand to the left. He did what was pleasing in the sight of the Lord. He followed the example of David. He had a good mother. We, were gonna re- we read about that as well. Um, and I think that's important to point out. His mother, um, you know, it says that she was God's darling is the name is the meaning for her name, the, the word Jedida. 
Um, she sought to make her son what was she was called God's darling. Her labor had reward. And I just want to stop. For those of you that are mothers, or for those of you maybe that aren't even mothers, maybe you're a single person, your labor has reward, okay? Your labor has reward. Don't forget that. You know, I was telling, talking to Gabe yesterday. Um, I like to encourage people, but I need the encouragement, I think, more than anybody. And if you're a teacher, you probably need teaching more than anybody. We all need everybody, don't we? We all need each other. Just like Adam spoke, like I was mentioning, a few, uh, probably half a year ago, a year ago, that we're dividing the branch. We need each other. We need each other as Christian fellowship, and most of all, we need Christ. So don't think as a mother or as a single person or whatever your role is that, you're, that you do not matter. You matter, okay? You matter to God and God's people. And I'm glad you're here. Like I said this morning, if nothing else, I'm happy to be here to encourage you as a vessel to shine brightly for Christ. Because guess what? When you share your heart to me, it encourages me. And it lifts us up to God as a whole. So remember that our life matters and we have an impact for Christ. So we remember that he did what was right and pleasing to God. He did not turn from the right hand to the left. And this was probably all the result of that mother. We see at age 16, somewhere around the age of 16, Josiah seeks to follow after God. Many of us, I can actually remember, I got saved when I was quite young, eight years old, and um, I probably didn't really honestly start seeking after God until about 14 years of age. And so I don't know where you're at in your life this morning. I want to just stop. First of all, if you're not a, a child of God, like a brother Kent, Ken Troutman said a few months ago, that's the first step, right? Repent and believe the gospel. You know, you have a God that, we have a God that loves you. That's what, if nothing else you hear this morning, there's a God that loves you and seeks to have a relationship with you. And he loves you above all things, but you need him as your savior. You need him as your savior. So Josiah began to seek after God. And maybe some of you this morning are Christians and you've kind of been floundering as it were along life. We all have that, don't we? I, I ask you and I would beseech you to pursue after God. And we read in 2 Chronicles 34 and 3, it says, for in the eighth year, of his reign, while he was still young, he began to seek after the God of his father, David. You know, we don't always have the best of beginnings. You actually look at history and some of the people that actually impacted history the most, their family roots or even their family tree, they might not even had parents. And I couldn't even think of specific examples, but I have read history books before and there's many of them. So we might not all have the best of beginnings, but with God, the future is bright. Josiah sought to, or he set his heart to seek after the Lord and he determined in his heart to do so. You know, it's really important to set our heart to seek after the Lord. If you sought to do that, you think of even Solomon when he asked for wisdom. He, he asked God for wisdom, and I remember we heard that message just a few months ago. It's a, it's a blessing to set your heart after the things of God. And God will bless and reward you for that. So I just want to encourage you in that point. I need to move on. Josiah purges Judah and Jerusalem. You know, um, I've often wondered, and you're going to see that up there on the screen, and there, there's Asherah poles here. There's carved images, Asherah poles, and, and the idol of Baal and different things. But in the 20th year of Josiah's reign, around or when he was 20 years old, so it had been the 12th year of his reign, just Josiah sat in his heart to destroy all these pagan shrines and Asherah poles. You know, if anything, um, we've been asked when we speak to pick out of our, uh, of our teaching what would point us to a New Testament character. 
And actually, the only thing I could think of Josiah as a New Testament character is the future. And that would be the coming reign of Jesus Christ, in which he's going to purge the world and the nation of, this land, of the lands of the nations, and that he will do that for our blessing, just like we heard this morning, for our benefit. So in 2 Chronicles 34, verses 3 and 4, it says, He ordered all, all the altars to be demolished, and that the incense altar was stood above them to be broken down. He also made sure that the Asherah poles, the carved idols, and the cast images were smashed and scattered over the graves of those who had sacrificed them. He destroyed the pagan altars and the Asherah poles and crushed the idols into dust. He cut them into... He cut down the incense altars throughout the land of Israel. Finally, he returned to Jerusalem. Josiah's age did not discourage him from necessary change and reformation. So if you're younger this morning, don't let your age be a discouragement. Maybe you're older this morning. Don't let your age be a discouragement for pursuing the Lord and doing what's right. You know, it's something I oftentimes remember looking back on. Some of the people that impacted my life were those that had little to say. You just watch by their example what they did. This is something that what Josiah did here was something that all previous kings had failed to do. You read about it. All the kings, they, some of the good kings, they got rid of the idol, or they got rid of this, they got rid of that, but they didn't do everything. But Josiah succeeded in destroying all these things. And with a noble rage, he swept away all these groves of abominations the actions of Josiah fulfilled a 300-year prophecy concerning him in 1 Kings 13 and 1, 13 verses 1 and 2. At the Lord's command, a man of God from Judah went to Bethel, arriving there just as Jeroboam was approaching the altar to burn incense. Then at the Lord's command, he shouted, O altar, O altar, this is what the Lord says. A child named Josiah will be born into the dynasty of David. On you he will sacrifice the priests from the pagan shrines, who come here to burn incense and human bones will be burned on you. That would actually have been around the changing of the kingdoms from the last king Solomon to when the kingdoms divided off. That was prophecy 300 years before Josiah's birth, that what he was doing here. Moving on, Josiah rebuilds a temple. Josiah begins to rebuild the temple when he's 26. He realized that when he destroyed these idols, he's got to replace them with something. <laughs> and the good thing is he realized he's got to replace them with God. And so thus the construction of the temple begins. And while they were destroying the, the, the idols and the different pagan shrines, he, he discovers something that strangely has a profound effect on him. He discovers the, the law of God. And it perhaps was the last remaining co copy of the law of God. You know, I was thinking of how an absence of God in one's life leads to an emptiness and longing for a void to fill. That void can only f be filled by God himself. I heard a quote when we were at a marriage conference. I need to move around a little bit more. I heard a quote when we were at a marriage conference. G.K. Chesterton said this, a man knocking on the door of a brothel is looking for God. So if you don't know what a brothel is, and maybe you're new age or whatever you want to say, a brothel is a home of a prostitute. I thought that was a pretty profound statement. I thought about that a little bit more. We actually shared it at a small group we had. But what is that man looking for? He's looking for an intimacy and a closeness in a relationship with God. Josiah realized that was missing from the land of na the nation of Israel. You know, that's what we're all looking for. You know, we can fill that void in our life with a whole list of things, can we? If you're not saved, it can be filled with a lot of things. Even if, you're, if you are saved, it can be filled with the same things. 
But that longing and void can only be filled with Christ. You know, that man knocking on that door of the brothel is seeking something. He's seeking a relationship. And you know, to some degree, we all worship things in our life, right? We enjoy food. We enjoy comforts. We, we have things that we tend to, as it were, worship. But really, we were made to worship Jesus Christ. Because it's not because he's selfish. It's not because he's self-centered. It's because he was the ultimate servant. He was the ultimate example that laid down his life that we heard this morning and was willing to show that and does a much better job than I can and than any of us can. But our goal is to point each other to Christ and a need that we have on our daily walk. So, anyways, moving on. Josiah orders a special Passover. Josiah in 2 Chronicles 35, 1 through 19 gives you the events that happen here. He orders that the Ark of the Covenant to be put back in the holiest of holies. That was actually, from what I could find, and maybe I'm wrong and I'm glad to be corrected, was the last known whereabouts of the Ark of the Covenant at this special Passover. It was, a, it was actually recorded in, in notes and in history that it was probably the greatest Passover or the greatest remembrance that happened since the prophet Samuel. And he actually it says that he donated or he gave 30,000 sheep and goats and 3,000 cattle and his officials or the people that worked for him also contributed as well, 7,600 lambs and 800 cattle. Like I said, this was said to be the greatest Passover since the days of the prophet Samuel. And actually, I think it was George a few months back that laid out the temple for us and what, what all the parts of the temple meant. So it was a great day of remembrance amongst the children of Israel. Now, as we're getting close to the end here, Josiah's reign comes to an end. You know, um, in 2 Chronicles 35, 20 through 27, we can find the end of the reign of uh, Josiah, and also in 2 Kings chapter 23. Um, he was warned by God through a king from Egypt. They called him a king. I double-checked that because we usually just call them pharaohs. But at this point, they presume they call them the kings in the Bible. King Necho was warned by God, or told by God, to tell <laughs> Josiah that, hey, God said, let me through this land. Necho desi desired to peacefully pass through the land, and Josiah thought, well, he's going to take it upon himself that, nope, he didn't want to let these people through the land. So he disguises himself, not as a king, and he goes into battle, and this arrow strikes him, and he dies. He reigns as king, and you know, I guess that's, if I stop for a second, you know, that reminds us that no one can go against God's will. You know, it's kind of like a simple illustration with a child. You know, when we, when, we dis, when we disobey, we're sinning against God, right? But also, if there's a cliff nearby and your parents tell you, don't get near that cliff, because what's going to happen? You're going to fall and you die, right? So God, God gave Josiah a warning, and he was a good and great king, and I'm not trying to throw away his whole story by this, but Josiah ultimately didn't listen, and he dies, so it's a natural consequence that happens in life. And sometimes death happens to great people we don't have no explanation for. I've had that happen in the last couple months. People that I knew as missionaries, young. Wives in another country. They're in another country. They die. And they can't even get back home to their own husband's funeral. You just don't understand things like that. But he reigned for 31 years. And he was 39 when he died. Josiah was beloved by his people, as indicated by their large funeral and mourning held for him. He would be the last good and godly king that would reign in the people of Israel. The fact that Josiah was beloved by his people is indicated by their deep and long-continued mourning after his death. 
In fact, it can, I wrote down here, it says, much can be learned from Josiah's life that is positive. First, Josiah shows the influence a person can have from a very young age. Even children have enormous potential to live for God. Even children. Don't forget that, young child, if you're here, or teenager, or even older one, like I said. Second, Josiah is a, a life lived fully committed and obedient to God and was blessed for it. Third, Josiah, pro, pro, sorry. Third, Josiah properly responded to God's word. By the time he was king, the scriptures had long neglected, had been long neglected, and Josiah's heart was smitten by the failure of his people to honor God's word. Josiah had scripture read to the people and made a commitment to live by it. 2 Kings chapter 22 and 19 says, Because your heart was responsible and you humbled yourself before the Lord when you heard it, what I have spoken, I have also heard you, declares the Lord. So I'd like to end with this. Where do we go from here? And for this, I want to end in reading scripture. Please turn with me to Psalms chapter 19. You've sat here the whole time listening, and I think the best thing anybody can do is read scripture. This was a uh, chapter we read recently as a family, and I say that as it's a struggle to read together as a family, so if you struggle, we're all there with you. But in doing reading this chapter, I would just like to set your focus on Christ, because that's what this chapter is about. Psalms chapter 19. The heavens declare the glory of God, and the firmament shows his handiwork. Day unto day under speech, and night unto night reveals knowledge. There is no speech nor language where their voice is not heard. Their line has gone out through all the earth, and their words to the end of the world. In them he has set a tabernacle for the sun, which is like a bridegroom coming out of his chamber, and rejoices like a strong man to run its race. Its rising is from one end of the heaven, and its circuit to the other end. And there is nothing hidden from its heat. The law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The statutes of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, yea, than much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and the honeycomb. Moreover, by them your servant is warned, and in keeping them there is great reward. Who can understand his errors? Cleanse me from secret faults. Keep back your servant also from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. Then I shall be blameless, and I shall be innocent of great transgression. I love this verse. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. So where do we go from here? We're Christ's bride. We're Christ's bride. <laughs> you know, I love going to weddings because it's kind of a picture of what we're going to enjoy someday. Did you hear me? We are Christ's bride. You know, I don't understand this. Why isn't Christ the bride? Because what's the focus at the wedding? It's not the groom standing up here waiting for the bride. It's the bride. That's the picture of our Lord Jesus, the humble servant. He wants to share what is rightly his with us. We are Christ's bride. We're going to be, I don't know how this is, but it's only by Jesus Christ. We're going to, we will be able to worship the land found worthy and behold the power of the lion of the tribe of Judah. So we're going to see both the lion and the lamb. Revelation chapter 5 is a beautiful picture. When the scene of the heaven is, there is none found worthy to open the book. And in comes, after everyone's 
as it were in tears, because you see the scene of heaven, it says they're in tears, and here comes the lamb that's found worthy. But not only is he lamb, he's the lion of the tribe of Judah. One day he's going to make all the, the wrongs right in this earth. He's going to purge out this world, and he's going to make a new creation. And we get to be a part of that. Through eternity, this is going to be forever. And I want to just stop for a second. If you don't know Christ as your Savior, not only is there going to be suffering forever in eternity, but the most awful thing about eternity, to be in hell, is to be separated with no hope from God. Can you imagine that? Separated forever, no hope. You know, yes, there's suffering, there's flames, there's fire. But for those of you, and if you're not saved this morning, talk to one of the elders like they plead with you. Get this matter settled this morning. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, it's not like we've heard it many times. It's not a complicated equation. God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance through him and understand that salvation is for them and for you this morning. We get to, we're going to spend all eternity worshiping this lion and the lamb and understand the mysteries of Christ, the vastness of his plan, the glory and the wonder of it all with no end. So thank you for listening this morning. We've been exploring the, the reign of Josiah, a man a broken nation was in great need of. And I hope you can just, as we close in prayer, like Bobby mentions this to us young guys, we can all hear well done in some way and just keep your focus on Christ and realize that he is worthy. He loves you. He died for you. He came to save you and be encouraged as you go out through this week. Let's just close in prayer. Heavenly Father, just thank you that we serve a wonderful God. Father, we, we know that we are broken people. Even our children can see that, Lord. But Father, we thank you that we can always point not only our children, but your people that are here this morning at Bethany or watching to you, O oh Lord. We just thank you for one like Josiah that purposed his heart for God and sought to follow after you. And Father, we just thank you for the example of his life and for the legacy that he left. And Father, we just know that while the world might say, well, look at the kingdoms that followed after him and the destruction of them, Lord, we just thank you for those that can stand up in a dark world like today and shine forth and show and point others to Christ. We just thank you for our Lord Jesus Christ. We just pray, we just trust this morning that there was hearts discouraged, that they'll leave refreshed. If there was hearts that need you as Savior, that they'll leave with a Savior. If there are those that, Lord, are, are, are maybe, as it were, in life, just on a, 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 a normal path, as it were, that their hearts will be even more exercised to pursue after you, and may we encourage each other in your word. We just thank you for the Lord Jesus. We just thank you for all that he has done for us. In his precious name, amen.